It's been a long road since Vietnam for me. And some of you think, Vietnam, wow, that's like World War II. Uh, when I tell people I was injured in 1969, they think War of 1812. And I have struggled with that because, <laughs> good grief, I don't feel old. I'm 66, but I'm going on 40. You know, it's kind of the way I am. I'm not, uh, I, I meet people all the time that are young and vibrant, you know, just zip boom and ready to go. And they can't keep my pace. They truly can't. Uh, I wear them out. I, ha- I use them for bodyguards. I use them for a lot of things that travel with me when I have to have security. They can't keep my pace. They say, I'm so glad this trip's over. And I'm trading them out for somebody else to keep going with me. That is the honest to God truth. I'm not exaggerating a word of it. I, I, I've managed to stay very, very occupied with the things I love. And when you are energized, I was, what is she, the lady I was uh, talking to just before we came in, she called me a, a energy, energy bunny or whatever that thing is. Ener- energizer bunny. We, you know, that's what we ought to be. I think we ought to have so much energy about the things we do for the Lord that you can't hardly tie us down. None of that's spoken in an arrogant way. My goodness, I'm fat, ugly, and stupid. And I know that. I, my wife told me to quit saying it. She said I wasn't stupid. <sighs> that's embarrassing. But why, why slow down? These are her words to me not long ago. She said, how do you want to die? And when she said it, I looked at her and said, baby, what did I do? <laughs> you know, like She's giving me an option how she's going to kill me for something I did. That I, and I'm saying, what do you mean? She said, no, how do you want to die? How do you want to end this thing up? And I said, well, first of all, I don't want to die. Because dying sounds like something really boring. There's nothing after the grave. You just, whatever. In the physical sense. I said, but I don't want to die. i tell you how I don't want to die. She said, how's that? And I want you to hear this. I don't want to die all laid out to rest with my hands across my chest and my fingernails have never been so clean. Doesn't interest me. I don't want to die to rest. I don't want to die all laid out to rest. That's not the way I want to go. I want to slide through the pretty gates with my hair on fire and blisters on my feet because I went through hell to get there. Because I want to do something for God that keeps me so occupied and so on the move that the devil has a hard time keeping up with me. I mean this. I'm saying it. Sounds foolish, but I'm trying to make a point. There's a lot of young people here and I want to make this I want you to get this. I want to be able to slide through those gates with, with such joy that I arrived right on schedule, but it's almost late because I had something to do for the kingdom. Yes. That's the way I want to go, folks. Yes. I, want to, I want to be busy about the master's work, not a master's degree. <laughs> I just thought of that for you college students. Uh, they said, what degrees do you have? I said, third degree. <laughs> when, you know, when you've been burned, the last thing you want to hear when you get to heaven is, well done, <laughs> our good and faithful servants. <laughs> Jesus. <sighs> Medium rare? <laughs> anyway, <laughs> y'all look at me like, you have brain damage? <laughs> I do not have Dane Bramage. <laughs> I'm fine, thank you. I'm 66 years old, never been so happy, never worked this hard, never loved it this much. That is the best description I can give you about who's talking to you. And you need to understand me and understand a little bit about who I am so that what I speak of tonight, today, tonight, and it's almost going to be night if I don't shut up and move ahead, is that I have a philosophy of life and it will permeate every word I say. I'm not going to stand up here and try to impress you with the these and thous and welcome to God's house. If you have your Bibles, turn with me. If you have your iPhones, you can join me, uh, really, to Philippians 1 and 12, just a quick verse. 
and I use my iPhone because it makes great big letters. I tell you, getting old is not for sissies. Chapter 1, verse 12. Ready? Oh, Philippians. Did I tell you that? Philippians. Chapter, this Paul's letter to the church in the Philippines. Come on, if you don't get that, you need to go to church, man. This is the, the letter to the church in Philippi. And here's what it says. I would you should understand brethren. I've had each congregation do that today. So generally say brethren. Why is that important? Because that's the address of the letter. This letter is not to the local bar, it's to the local church. He wrote this to the church in Philippi. So he wrote it to the brethren and the sistern. You don't want to say cistern. <laughs> that didn't come off right. To the brothers and sisters at the church in Philippi. Really important statement. He said, things happen. We got bumper stickers that tell us that. You know, something like that. Things happen. Why, why do you have to tell that to the church? Why, do, why would he tell to Christian people things happen? There's some of you sitting in this room right now. Things have happened this week that have pretty near devastated you. And you're sitting here maybe thinking, thank God I got to go to church. I got to have some answers. And if God doesn't give me an answer, I'm done. Nobody else has helped me. I'll just eat worms and die. Well, you got it backwards. You die, then the worms eat you. And if that's the way you want to go, I can't stop you, but I will tell you this, you came to the right place because in the house of God, you'll understand something about things happening. It doesn't matter if you're saint or sinner, pervert or preacher, and thankfully there is a difference. You know what it is that I want to say to you? You're going to get hurt. Oh, Mr. Rewrite, come here to hear that. You're going to get hurt in life. Even Jesus said it. In this life, you will have trouble. Or he said, in this world, you will have trouble. You know what he answered to that? But I've overcome this world. And it's interesting, he didn't say, I've overcome your trouble. He overcame what is the source of our trouble, the world. In this world, you will have trouble, but I have overcome the world. So you look at me, and I'm not soliciting you staring at me, but I don't mind. People do it all the time. <laughs> Little kids look at me, scream, and run into stuff. Really, they do, and it doesn't help, and I go, <laughs> it is fun, because they, they run right into stuff, and sometimes they wet themselves, and it's just like, teenagers are fun. They'll come and say, wow, dude, what happened to your face? And I'd say, I was burned bobbing for french fries. That one always gets them. One of them said, whoa, did you get one? <laughs> and men, men are the best. Guys, I love you. You're, you're awesome, because you like to be, you like to be non-threatening. Uh, how can I say it? You like to be polite, but your curiosity gets to you. It gets to me, too. And men will say to me, Wow, fellow, looks like you got hurt there. What happened to your face? And I'm looking at him and saying, Whoa, dude, look at you. What happened to your mother? <laughs> you, know, you know you're ugly when you're born, a doctor slaps her. Yeah, something happened. It happened in a big way. Hand grenade blew the whole side of my head off and right down to my waist, from my waist up, half my skin's gone. I, uh, half my skin off my body's gone. Blinded in my eye, got my vision back. Blinded in my ear. <laughs> blinded in my ear. <laughs> well, I guess you can. I could take it off and I can see through it. I can see through my ear. You, do you hear yourself laughing? I've stood up here and berated myself. I've talked about being shot up, burned up mutilated and amputated and we're all laughing you're not laughing at me you're laughing with me 
And the reason you're laughing with me is because in just a matter of a few moments, I had to win your heart. And for you to realize, he laughs because he beat the odds. He overcame it. And, and pardon me, but who got hurt the worst here? You, me, the next person? It isn't a contest for who got hurt the most. I guess if it's a contest, who came through it? There's you. That, that's what we're trying to get across. Everybody gets hurt. That's not the question. How you deal with it is the question. I got hurt in Vietnam. I go to war. I get hurt and I get a purple heart. You go to divorce court, you get hurt and you get a broken heart and a broken dryer. Life's just not fair. Well, here's the truth. You will get hurt. You will. This world's going to hurt you. How are you going to deal with it? Is it one of these, why me, God? Don't do that. He might answer you. I don't know. I just, something about you I don't like. Why do we have suffering in life? Because out of suffering, we learn obedience. I didn't make that up. It comes from the word of God. Even Jesus, the Bible said, Jesus learned obedience through the things he suffered. Suffering's part of the human race. You can't escape it. It's going to get you. How are you going to deal with it? That's the secret. People don't like losers. They just don't like to hang around people that gripe, complain all the time. Someone said, uh, how they put it? Uh, misery loves company. That's not true until you qualify the company misery loves to keep. Miserable people love miserable company. And if you're not miserable company, they're going to make you miserable or you're out of there. People don't like to hang around people that are happy when you're mad. You've got the mully grubs and you're down. And if you can't feel as rotten as I am and feel rotten for me, then leave. Okay, happily, see you. Wouldn't want to be you. A lot of empathy there, huh? The world's not looking for losers. They're looking for somebody who has found the answer. And listen to me. You're in this room by choice because all of us continue every day looking for answers. I'm looking for answers. There's days I'm hurting. I'm hurting right now. I had a wisdom tooth pulled, and I got a golf ball inside my mouth here, just sore as a boil. And I'm, they're pulling my shoulder out next week. I'm going to take the whole shoulder out and put a new one in because I have to let it hang on this stupid po- No, podium's not stupid. I like your podium. Really nice podium. How about blew that? Life's not fair. It hurts. And, and it goes with age. A lot of guys, I've got me a new knee and it quit hurting, so I'm going to go for the shoulder. And I asked the guy, I said, can you give me a new brain while I'm out? Just pop it in there. He said, we have three. I said, really? He said, one's $10,000, one's $20,000, one's $30,000. I said, well, what's the cheapest brain? He said, well, that's of a lawyer. He said, it's cheaper. I said, what's the 20 thing? I said, that's of a doctor. I said, why the $30,000 price on that last brain? He said, that's a preacher's brain. I said, why is it so much? He said, it's like new. It's never been used. <laughs> I told that one on myself. You go through life, you're going to get hurt. It's gonna, that, that's not the question. So why do we go to church? Why are you here today? Because we're looking for ways to turn our tragedies into triumph, to take that thing that happened unto us. Now, let me finish that scripture for you. That, that he said, would you should understand, brethren, that the things which happened unto me have fallen out rather to the furtherance of the gospel. Isn't that cool? You can't even kill a Christian. You just get them where they're going quicker. Shoot me? What are you going to do? Hold me hostage to go to heaven? Well, if you don't do what we do, we're just going to send you to heaven. Okay. Let's do this. 
you know, I'm ready. It's a free ride. I get to slide through my hair on fire. It doesn't bother me. My hair's artificial. Well, it's not artificial. It's real hair. It's just not mine. Well, it is mine, but I bought it. Am I going to get to this or what? It was blown off in Vietnam, but it's also blown off in South Carolina last month in a high wind. I chased this thing across the park. I got up on the edge like a frisbee. It was just taking, I mean, it was in a dead run, and a dog took off after that. He brought my hair back to me. It's stinking mutt. Artificial ear. I got a lot of parts. I put them on the bed the other day. My wife said good night, and I was outside. That was a joke. I'm only, I've only just begun. My ear fell off when I was preaching in Jamaica. That's bad. It did. It's artificial. It just fell off. I didn't know what happened. Everybody's, and they're pointing at me, and I'm checking my fly because I know something's wrong. And I look around, and there's my ear laying right there on my shoulder. It was up where I could talk to myself. I did, it's not a joke. I picked it up, dried the sweat off, stuck it back on. I think, okay, everything's fine. It got worse. They all thought it was a miracle, and they got saved. And I can't tell them, uh-uh, uh-uh. It's not a miracle. It's a phony ear. They would have said, you're a phony preacher. They would have stoned me. I can't tell you I went to Jamaica and got stoned. So. Everybody goes down there and gets stoned. Why do you make so much fun of it, mister? Why do you laugh about it? Because it's my way of spitting in the devil's eye. He took his best shot, people. July the 26th, 19th, I hate to say it, 1969, right after the War of 1812, Took his best shot. He hit me, knocked me halfway into eternity. Look at me. This was not easy. Have you ever put your face in the pillow to scream so nobody could hear you? Has it ever hurt that bad for you, what it did for me? And when I lifted my head to take a breath, I screamed again because I looked back in my face and come off. It was stuck to the pillowcase. It hurt. Yeah, I know what suffering is. You say, well, why do you laugh so much? Because it's my good medicine. I laugh because it takes pain away. A merry heart doth good like a medicine. And the world's sick of hearing the, the sad stuff. I just overdose on my good medicine. I overdose on humor. I overdose on laughter and joy. It's unspeakable and it's full of glory. The Bible speaks of it. Amen? Well, July 26, 1969, the devil took his best shot. I was trying to throw a white phosphorus hand grenade. I was on the border of Cambodia on a river called the Vamcote. It was a hot day in July. I had a bad feeling. I knew something was wrong, but I couldn't find it. I couldn't see it. I couldn't smell it. I couldn't hear it. None of my normal senses could pick up on why I felt that way. But I've learned to trust your feelings, Luke. I'm your father. You know, I knew something was wrong, and I trusted that feeling. I reached down by my right knee, and I pulled out a long cylindrical grenade about the size of a Coca-Cola can. You military, you know what I'm talking about. Pulled the pin and drew back, and I was going to throw it to burn down the high brush, detonate booby traps, put up smoke. You know, tell me about a bad day. Well, I had one that would be called and qualify very difficult. I don't use the word bad because all things work together for good to them that love God and are called according to his purpose. It was a difficult day, but it was a good day. Wait till you hear why. When that grenade dropped beside my head, sniper shooting at my head missed. He hit my hand and blew the grenade right beside my face. I looked down, and I could see my heart beating. My back was on fire, skin dripping. My right hand was severed in half. These three fingers and thumb were hanging. They don't straighten out. But I got a preacher finger, crooked as it is. It says straight is the way. I just thought of that. That's pretty good. My left thumb was blown off. 
They made that out of my hip. I don't know what it is. I don't suck it, I'll tell you that. (laughs) Do not suck your hip. That's my motto. You know what, though? I got my vision back, got my hearing back, enough thumb to hitchhike, and a hand that does not work good, but I can play a piano. If you had one, I'd prove it. But the fact is, God's given me back everything I lost and extra and extra. And my wife... Well, that's another story. I met her when I was 16. I asked her to marry me. She slapped me because she said, I want a 13. I said, I know, but you have the body of a 14-year-old. She slapped me again. If you love me, you'll wait for me. And I said, I'll pick you up at 10. I knew what she meant. But we were married and we were both virgin. And we waited. 46 years later almost now, we're still married but not still virgin. I have two kids and four grandkids. Isn't that cool? That's just awesome. I, I got grandchildren, man. And, and they're teenagers, some of them. When my little blonde-haired, blue-eyed angel was five and a half years old, she crawled up in my lap and squeezed my shot-up face, and she sang to me, You are so beautiful to me. And she bounces to get my bottle. Can't you see? I couldn't see. I was crying and blowing snot bubbles. I got a little baby doll singing how beautiful I am. She still doesn't know. She's 16. She thinks I'm handsome. She thinks I'm beautiful. She loves me. I'm her hero, and she writes all her school stories about her papa. That's what she calls me, papa. Most beautiful name I ever heard, papa. Man. Well, it's in the South. We know what it means. You go north and say papa, they think it's cattle feed. What do they know? Down here, dictionary, Southern speak dictionary, papa, mighty man of war, holy man of God. I thought you knew, but I wanted to be sure. She, she's just something special. All my grandkids are just so special to me. And I came this close. I came that close to never being able to be a grandpa, to have never made it through because I knew Brenda was going to leave me. I married her. She didn't, she didn't bargain for what she got. She married a handsome young prince, and when I kissed her goodbye to go to war in Vietnam, that little 18-year-old looked at me and she asked me a question I did not want to answer. And I made a promise to her I could not possibly keep. When I turned to walk away at Love Field in Dallas to get on the plane that would take me to the other side of the world to another life, I did find no tears. I turned to walk away and about five steps later she said, Davy, and I could feel the breath just being sucked right through my nostrils and there went the tears. They crashed over the dam of all my resistance and A tear raced down my cheek and I turned and looked at her and I said, what, Brenda? She asked me a question. Are you coming back? What am I supposed to tell her? We're right now in coming into 12 years of a war on terror. 12 years, 6,000 dead. Go ahead and add the 3,000 murdered unmercifully on the beginning of the war. 9,000. I was in the seventh year of a 10-year war. There were 50,000 already dead when she asked me, am I coming back? And in the following 36 months, 10,000 more would die. Ask a Vietnam veteran here. Wasn't a pretty war. War should never be pretty. People say, how could you fight in such an unpopular war? I don't know. I wasn't thinking I should have waited and a popular war would surely come along. It's like popular herpes. 
It's, it's popular. 25% of America has it, but I don't want it. I don't want war. I hate war. Look at me. I hate war. It's embarrassing sometimes when you don't get a chance to tell people, don't feel sorry for me. I'm fine. I'm proud of my scars and stripes. That's a play on words. Did you get it? I don't want people to feel sorry for me. But when I don't get a chance to explain and they just look and assume, I hate war, but I love freedom. I love freedom more than I hate war. I wish there'd never be another war. I wish all people could live free, but those that aren't free will fight and do anything to be free. And those that are free don't seem to be willing to do anything to stay that way. Go figure. Go figure. Average age of those fighting this war on terror, 19 years old. How old are you guys? 21? 19? You know what I told them last service? Before you slap a teenager, before you get mad and say something you shouldn't, hold steady. That kid may die for you. Give him a second chance. I'll pull for you. I'll pull for you, young people. Most of my life is spent with your age group. That's why I have a hard time believing I'm 66. I take 66 and 22, put together and divide it and have my come up. Never mind. That day in Vietnam was, in the eyes of most people, a bad day. It was a good day because I didn't know I was being prepared that day for this day. And my six tours into Iraq and my tour into Afghanistan, which I'll be doing again coming up soon. I don't go over there because I don't have anything to do. They don't ask me to come there because I'm beautiful. I am not bad, but hey. They don't call me because of my mighty military strength. I need a new shoulder and my two-thirds. I'm not a hero. I played football in the ninth grade. One down, it hurt. I quit, joined the band, watched other kids get hurt. It was free. I didn't have to pay. Just sit there and watch them bleed. I'm not a hero. Don't misunderstand who I am. They don't call me because of my academia. I mean, I was in the top 10% of the lower one-third of my class. So why do they call me? Because on July the 26th, 1969, after kissing a little girl goodbye and spent eight months in a war I didn't start, I paid a price for what I believed in, and I never gave up. That's not because I'm tough. It's because of who I believe in, and he has stood by me. You can't make it through life and encounter the difficulties you will face based upon who you think you are and some tough person. Uh, it's not who you are. It's who you believe in. Yeah. Who is it? I train the U.S. military constantly, and I teach them about this part of the psychology and the, and the physiology and the spirituality of, Christ, uh, of life, that you have three levels, three parts. Disney's wrong. He said it's a circle. Uh-uh, it's a triangle. Friends, family, and faith. I always put faith at the bottom because your friends and family will be poor choices if it's not based on faith. But it takes a triangle because a triangle is the strongest form of building block there is. Nothing stronger than a triangle to build with. If you're in engineering, you know what I'm talking about. I can't choose my family. I was born into it, but I thank God for family that I was born into. But I can choose how I develop my own family. I can choose my friends, and it's true. Show me your friends... And I'll show you your future. But when it comes to faith, I know in whom I have believed and I am persuaded that he's able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. And I have been to hell and back as it were. I have tasted of death. I've had the sheep pulled over me so many times, cats envy me. Honestly, they have pulled the sheet over me, walked off, called me dead. I was given 45 minutes to live a few years ago, and then just two years ago, I was given six hours to live. 
Why am I still here? It's not because I'm tough, because God had a plan for my life and the devil can't pluck me out of the hand of God and I will not fail in what I've been assigned to do. And when you have a vision and a goal and a dream and it's based on Christ in your life, you can't be destroyed. You can go through anything and survive it for heaven's sake. Literally, for heaven's sake. We can make it because of Christ. And especially at your age when you're vulnerable to so many pressures and issues, social issues, financial issues, concerns about your future, relationship issues. These are the times when you need a strong anchor. And if I can encourage you, and if I had known... Pastor, I, I, I wasn't like not excited about a third service. But if I had known I was going to have this many young people, I would have sat up all night just excited. It's so fun to see all you young folks in the house of God. They're just beautiful. I don't know how to say it. You're awesome. And that to me is, that's the future of a country is that people like yourselves still have a heart for things that you can't see, touch, taste, smell. Don't make you feel good. There's more to life than feeling good. There's something about having that fundamental of the triangle faith in operation, that fundamental side. Well, it went into, it kicked into gear on July 26 when that sniper squeezed that trigger. In one second, I went from perfect health to total calamity. Half my skin was gone at the blink of an eye. I looked down and could see my heart beating. I jumped in the river. Phosphorus is a chemical. I burned in the water, unabated. My skin was all around me. I tell everybody I was beside myself. <laughs> Did you get it? That is funny. I don't care who you are. I needed to pull myself together. <laughs> Excuse me. And I crawled up out of the water on the bank of the river, and I looked at the damage. Fell over backwards. They thought I was dead, but I wasn't dead. I was tired, swimming, burning. It makes you tired. Artery was severed here. I'm shooting blood out. You want to hear a little miracle? They're all big, but this one's cool. The phosphorus that had me lit up and set on fire burns at 5,000 degrees. In the hole, the bullet went in that severed the artery that I was pumping blood out of, that hot phosphorus boiled that blood, cauterized it, sealed it off, and saved my life. The thing that almost killed me saved my life. It's like getting saved. Yeah, because it destroys the flesh that the spirit might live. When I say destroys the flesh, I'm not talking about your physical flesh. I'm talking about your carnal mind, the Bible calls it. There's a war between the carnal mind and the spirit of man and the spirit of God. So that war was raging. But in this case, it's a physical war. And helicopter landed to pick me up. They rolled me on the stretcher. I caught the stretcher on fire. It ripped open. I fell through on my head. You ever have one of those days? <laughs> Nothing goes right. They rolled me up in a wet blanket, got me on another stretcher in the helicopter. They slide me in, lock it down. And away we go. And the medic thinks I'm dead. And I'm laying there thinking, oh, this is really starting to hurt. I needed morphine. The shock was wearing off. This is pain like no word could ever be uttered to tell you how bad it hurt, honestly. And I just figured I might as well call the medic. He's right, he's right there. I said, medic! And when I did, him thinking I'm dead, he almost jumped out of the helicopter. It's a true story. The pilot, I really think he lost control. I'm sure he did. That tail spun around. We're rocking and dropping like a rock, and I'm waiting. I said, oh, Jesus, Lord, help God. No, please. We're going to crash, and I'll be the only survivor. <laughs> They got me to Saigon and then to Japan where I stupidly asked for a mirror and they stupidly brought it. I looked up in that glass and I saw what was left. I knew it was over. That's when I figured it. We're done here. I don't use the word done. You know, when you've been burned, you don't like people saying, well done. Come on, Jesus. Medium rare. So 
I figured I wasn't going to make it. I decided to take my life. And I'm embarrassed to tell you that. Because I like to keep everything positive, but I tried to kill myself. You ever think of suicide? You ever think of just finishing it? Sooner or later, someone will come along and say, I've never thought of it, and I'm so glad for you if you're that one. But it's even more so when you're just a kid. And you think, I'm just going to hold my breath till I die and show my parents. But it's when you get really serious about it that's scary. Suicide can enter your mind once. It's that second thought you give it. That's the one that will kill you. I want to speak to every one of you young people. I want you to understand something. I know what it's like to be depressed. I know what it's like to lose hope. I know what it's like to look in the mirror and not even know who you are. When they showed me my face in the mirror, I knew she wasn't going to love me. But when you mix that with drugs, you mix that with fear, you mix that with pain, you mix that with uncertainty, you've got all the right ingredients for a horrible outcome. And I'm telling you, I did the wrong thing. I tried to take my life. I didn't have a gun or a knife. I just pulled the tube out, laid my head back, and waited to die. I got hungry. I did it's the wrong tube. I pulled out lunch. You can actually die that way, but it's going to take a while. And while you're waiting on that pizza that smells so good, you're going to plug that tube back in. You don't want to die. I was at Landstuhl Regional Medical Center in Germany just a few months ago. Army sent me over to do a suicide prevention tour, and I spoke to thousands and thousands of our warriors coming out of Iraq and, pardon me, out of Afghanistan. And as I went through the hospital, I came upon a little girl, 19 years old, tried to take her life. Couldn't stand the pain anymore. Oh, it wasn't the pain of losing a leg or an arm. It's the pain of losing her husband. Oh, no, he didn't die. He just found somebody else. He liked her body more than his wife's. She came home, found him in bed, and she said, you know what? I've had enough. My mother didn't like me. My dad didn't like me. Now my husband doesn't like me. So she took 150 pills of some kind. I don't know what they were. Now she's blind because it destroyed the nerve, optic nerve in her brain. Oh, she was out when they found her. If they hadn't got to her just 20 minutes later, they wouldn't have to worry about it. They got her and saved her life, but she's blind. Laid up in that hospital, I walked in to see her. She's so beautiful. Had everything going her way at one time in her life somewhere, everything had to be good at one, just for one moment. Because she had something to compare the pain against. And she had never hurt that bad. And I sat down with her and I took her roses. You ever give anybody roses? Especially a blind person. They love roses. You know why? They smell good. You know why rose is so important to a blind person? Because... The fragrance, especially if they've had sight, brings back a memory of something perfect, beautiful. I went to visit a friend of mine who probably at this point in her life was actually a bona fide billionaire. And they built a little cabin on the lake that was 14,000 square feet. That was their little cabin on the lake. Oh, they owned the lake. It was... 300-acre lake. I've never known anybody that rich and still love Jesus. She loved Jesus. 
one day she went to look at the new beautiful cabin they were building and walking up the unfinished staircase stepped on a nail laying flat and the nail rolled and she lost her balance and fell three stories into the basement broke her back right in half never walk again she can move her hands she can move her neck she can function from the waist up never move again from the waist down I went to see her when I walked in I took roses like I did the little girl in Germany something about women and roses I can't understand my wife I tell you what man I tell you buy her roses and she's the happiest girl in the world I always worry about Valentine's because I never know what to do she says no roses they cost too much and no chocolate I'm trying to lose weight so I go buy roses and chocolate and she kisses me I I don't get it (laughs) stunning women and roses I took roses in to see Nancy and I pulled up a chair and she couldn't move at all at that moment even from the waist up she had to be real still because staph infection had eaten in the spine and they had a hole about the size of a giant grapefruit right in the back where they just had to keep it ventilated all the time it had a terrible odor and I walked in to see this beautiful woman and she turned her head just enough to see me she said Davey you came I knew you would come I said Nancy I got here as fast as I could I said I don't know what to say but I brought some roses and she looked at them and tears filled her eyes I said Nancy what's the most important thing about a rose to you the way it looks or the way it smells she says hmm I don't know, they're beautiful. I said, but beauty can go with fragrance or can go with a visual stimulation. Is it what they look like or what they smell like? She said, I don't know. I guess what they look like. I said, well, watch this. Close your eyes. She closed her eyes. And I took a rose and I mutilated it. I even put it down on the floor and with my heel, I crushed it. And then I said, as I held it back up, open your eyes. She opened her eyes and she said, oh, that's horrible. It was a beautiful rose. I said, it still is beautiful. I said, because it still smells good. And I said, to the farthest corner of this room, the fragrance of this rose can be appreciated. I said, Nancy, you are this rose. You have been crushed. You have been broken. But you smell good, Nancy. You smell good. There's something about life that when you get hurt, and I mean really hurt, when you've been crushed and there's just no answer, words don't come out, how do you deal with it? What are you going to do then? Is it life's not worth worth living? I'm going to tell you something. I was on Good Morning America with Joan London I was sitting there whenever she looked at me with tears in her eyes. And she said, we're going to break for commercial. It was not the time for a commercial. And the commercial rolled in because she announced it. And she looked at me and she said, you smell good. I said, what do you mean? I said, I wear Lagerfeld. What do you mean? She says, I don't know. You smell good. And I said, Nancy, it's because I've been broken. I mean, Joan, it's because I've been broken. And I told Nancy, I said, when we're broken, that's when the fragrance of suffering is released. Why did Jesus choose suffering? 
I mean, couldn't he have gone to Calvary on a limousine and died by lethal injection? Could have. You know why he didn't? Because he wanted you to know that he knows how you feel. They crucified him, hands up, palms out, the Son of God, the Prince of Peace, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, hanging stuck like a little doll, like a rag doll nailed to a piece of wood. And the Son of God who left the azure halls of glory to drag his own cross down the cobblestone road of the Via Della Rosa, that guy, that man, that God chose to express his love through suffering. This is not an apologetics to suffer. God knows I don't want to hurt anymore. And it really, I really mean that today. And I'm not looking for another testimony. And I'm not advocating you stand in front of a bus and get run over so you can testify how God delivered you. But when you suffer, when you're hurt, when it's beyond what you can deal with, that's when he comes screaming through. That's when he becomes your breath. He becomes your hope. He becomes your fragrance. That's the Jesus I'm talking about. And 45 years later, soon be 46, that girl and I are still together, more in love than we've ever been. Do we have our disagreements? Of course. What good's a marriage if you both agree on the same thing all the time? You've got to have something to argue about. got to be something that contrasts so that you can have a choice of what's better I don't want her to agree with me on everything. Just 99% would be better. <laughs> I'm flamboyant. I'll spend a million dollars so fast you can't believe it. No, not on something for Davy boy. No. I've got ranches to build. I've got buildings to build. I've got guys to fly in. I've got to get these people's lives on a track of recovery. I can spend money so fast. My wife will make me count every stinking penny of it and have a receipt to show it. I say, Brenda, for heaven's sake. She says, that's right. It's for heaven's sake. You do it God's way. You make everything count. And she's right. And so am I. Just say it. So out of our tragedy comes triumph. The things the devil intended for evil, the Bible says God intends to use for good. So whenever something happens, don't wonder, oh God, why are you punishing me? Uh, 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 don't go there. He's a good God and he doesn't do evil. The thing that happened to you, he's going to use for the kingdom of God, for the glory and the purpose of the gospel. Because somebody's going to get hurt just like you. And without Christ, you could never be the example they're looking for. And they'll say to you, how did you make it? And bingo, your door of opportunity is wide open to change the life of someone broken. Just for the record, you're special. I didn't say any of that to the first bunch that came through or the second bunch. Because God, I believe, is saying something to somebody in this room. He chose this service. He chose where you're sitting. He chose that you would not miss a word. And he chose this stammering lip and lisping tongue. And he said to a guy that's least worthy of all of us, I'm going to trust you, Dave, to get the word out. They need to hear it. I shared this backstage, if you don't call it, but that's not a stage. That's a platform. A stage is where you put on, a, put on an act. A platform is where you communicate. But anyway, back there before I came out, I was visiting with the precious couple that said, entertain me and give me some water and let me recover between services. And I told them, I told them, 
some of the things that are intimate to my life. And I'm going to conclude with one of them that I started to share what I shared with them. I'm going to share this in conclusion. I love to conclude, by the way, so I conclude two or three times. And, but this will be my concluded conclusion. I don't even know what time it is. I do need to get through here. Whenever I got to the hospital, and remember, I was, I was injured, tried to take my life. Japan, they got me to America, Brook Army Medical Center, San Antonio. I was there a year and two months in the ICU, which I didn't know what an ICU was until they gave me the little gown thing. It doesn't come together. <laughs> you figured it too. It's the ICU. <laughs> so I walked around backwards. I didn't want anybody to see me. Uh, my first day there, they put me in the tank, and that's when they splash water up on you. Then they take pinchers and pliers, and they fillet your body. My skin was about half an inch thick of charcoal, hard as a rock. You could knock on like a cast. It was just, just turn, just like stick of wood. It was charcoal. And they'd grab chunks, and, and I don't want to get too descriptive. I don't want you to pass out here. But when they got through, I was bowed up. Only my head and my heels were touching in the water. I was shaking all over, and I had grabbed one of the nurses that was doing the cutting, and I pushed her face down, dragged her clear in that water. That little tank of saline water got her in that tank with me and had her face down trying to drown her. I thought she was killing me, and I'm defending my life. I was so, so confused and so lost. They got her out, and they finished. They sent me back down on this little gurney thing that had wobbly wheels like a Walmart shopping cart. Rattle, 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 rattle all the way, and I'm, Laying there and all I can think of, oh God, please let me die, let me die, let me die. Don't do this anymore, Jesus, please kill me, kill me. Stop it. No mas. That's all I was saying. And they got me down to my bed and they said, we'll be back at 8.30 in the morning. We're going to do this again. I looked up and I said, you're not doing this again. We're done right now. We're finished. They said, you'll die. I said, that's fine with me. We're not doing it again. I said, yeah, you'll make it through the night. We'll be back. I said, then don't tell me. Let's let it be a secret. Shh. Don't speak of it. 8.30 next morning, here comes that rattly old gurney to pick me up. And they get there and they push it up beside my bed and they start dragging. You know how they do that. They pull on the sheets and to just, just the slightest nudge and my whole body would hurt. Watch my knee said as he suffered for Christ as they were persecuting him in China, they would whip his feet with bamboo sticks until he said, they whipped my feet till my hands hurt. I know. And they're tugging and pulling, and a man stepped up. He was six foot seven inches tall, I estimate. 350 pounds of solid muscle. And when he moved, cannonballs would pop up on his chest and arms. He was black. He weighed 350 pounds, I said. And his name was, his name was Rosie. That's his name. He's bald, just a huge man. And with his huge arms, he pushed everybody back. And with his hands inverted and his palms up, he slid him like a forklift under my body and lifted me straight up and held me against his giant chest and he turned and I thought he was going to put me on the gurney. He didn't. He carried me to the far end of that ward into the room we called hell because that's where we all went to get our skin pulled off, riffed off, cut off when we would just scream in unspeakable pain. And they can't put you out because they have to do it every day. They put you to sleep every day. The hypothalamus of the brain shuts you down. You go to sleep. You don't wake up. It's called coma and you die. So they have to keep you awake and they can't drug you enough to stop the pain. It's hell on earth. And he put me in the water and they did their thing. And whenever my head and heels again were all that was touching, my hands are raising. I'm shaking and I'm trying not to scream. I look over 
And that giant of a man was leaning up against the wall with his arms folded, tears running down that beautiful ebony skin face. And in the light of that morning sun rising, they reflected like little streams of fire. And I looked over, I could see with my left eye, his lips were moving. Rosie was praying for me. Rosie was praying. And as he prayed, I, I felt, I just relaxed in the water. And they thought I, I thought I was dying and they scrambled it. Oh, we did too much. We, got, we, we can't do any more. From then on, I learned, just relax in the water and they stop. <laughs> they called him and he came over and he put his hands down in the water that was covered in my skin and blood and muck. And he lifted me up and they dried off his arms and they dabbed my body and they scrubbed until the blood would surface. And then they would dab that until it dried. And Then he turned and he started walking down the hall, that long ward back to my back to my bed and as he walked this is what he said you'll be fine big man I wish I could imitate his deep resonant voice you'll be fine big man you'll say you'll be fine you'll be fine big man you'll say you'll be fine and with every step we walked he repeated that over and over and when he got me to my bed he laid me down pressed against the mattress pulled those forklift forks out and he reached over and he pushed a little tuft of hair up here that had survived which is now gone he, he pushed it down and he was looking deep deep with those auburn eyes deep into my soul I could see it as I looked up at him he was looking into my soul and he bent down and he kissed my forehead and he said one more time you'll be fine big man you'll see I travel all over the world, and I'm not bragging. Just hear me out. I've spoken to audiences over 300,000 people. I've stood in stadiums as I did for nine years speaking for Dr. Billy Graham on military night, Monday night. I've looked the stadiums full. I go to the smallest to the largest churches, and I search the audience. What am I looking for? I'm looking for a guy named Rosie. He's about six foot seven. Have you seen him? Bald, black. He's got a tattoo that says, Rosie, can't find him you know how I find every now and then looking for him I come across some of my nurses one of them stopped me one day she said you are Milton first name don't remember that part Milton David I said yeah Milton David she said I thought so I was your nurse and I didn't recognize you with your clothes on I looked at her I said don't say that very loud please she said but you don't remember me I guess I said ma'am I'm sorry she said well you're the one that dragged me into that tub with you we laughed and we cried. She said, I'm so glad you lived. I didn't know what became of you. I said, well, I want to ask you a question. Oh, somebody, I don't know what became of him. I said, you remember Rosie? And when I said his name, her little face lit up. She said, I haven't thought of him in years. I said, where is he? She says, I have no idea. I said, well, what was his real name? She says, all I know is Rosie. I said, well, when did he come to that ward? She said, when you did. I said, when did he leave? She said, when you did. She said, do you think maybe? I said, no, don't go there. She said, no, I really think it might be. I said, don't tell me. She said, an angel. I said, oh, no, please. I hope not. She said, why? Why? A ministering angel. I said, no. An angel just does what he's sent to do, but a man on a mission. 
Tell us what he does because it's his heart. And I don't know if angels have hearts. An angel on assignment's one thing, but a man on a mission. See, I am a man on a mission. I know what I'm sent to do. And I will not be denied my destiny. Because God has a plan for my life. And I will finish this race. With green hair. And I want to say to everyone in, these girls were the first I got to meet when I walked out today. God has a plan for your life. Jesus loves you so much. Don't be afraid, okay? God bless you, man. God has a plan. Let him work it out. The Bible says 210 times. I don't know. I didn't count them. Somebody else told me that. I think it was Kenny Copeland said, I wish, I'm not even positive with the number, but I think he said 210 times in the Bible it says, fear not. And he said 210 more times it says, for I am with thee. Don't be afraid. No matter what the future holds, it's in his hands. I love you folks. It's been a pleasure to be with you.